tonight. Uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Uh, man, it doesn't matter if if we're preaching to 10 people or 10,000 people. The Word of God goes out and the Word of God does not come back void, right? The Word of God is moving and there's someone here tonight, maybe it's you, that needs to receive the Word of God. Like, like you need to hear, you need to receive, you need to see it in your life moving. Is that you tonight? I'm curious. Tell me. All right. So we're going to jump into the Bible and we're going to do something today. Uh, we're going to go to an area that maybe you haven't been to. This is a little bit of a Bible drill. We're going to see how many of y'all know your Bible a little bit. Some of y'all are like, oh, Brandon, this is going to be bad. So get ready. Listen, turn in your Bible to the book of Habakkuk. Oh, man. Some of y'all are like, get that index out. Get it, get it ready. Find the H. Huh, right? Get there. Find it. It's in the Old Testament. Be moving that way. It's a, it's a little book with a big... People on their iPhones are like, I got it. Yeah, come on now. Come on now. Some of y'all actually got the, the, the pages there. I got it. It's a little book with a big punch. That's what Habakkuk is. And I need to tell you about this guy before I jump in and, and take a little piece of the scriptures. You need context. Otherwise, the word of God is, is, can be misinterpreted quite easily. Habakkuk is a prophet. He's probably a temple prophet. That means he gets paid to be a prophet. They had prophets that got paid back then. And he works around the temple. Now, because he's around the temple, he gets to see certain things that not everybody else would get to see. He gets to be about around the religious elite. He gets to really hear their heart. You, you, you want to hear, hear a pastor's heart? Stay around the temple a little while. And he gets to see these things. And he gets to hear important people come in. And he gets to see their lives uh, transpire. And what he realizes is that there's this big problem in Judah. I'm not going to go into all this stuff because there's just so much, but I just want to kind of give you like the grit of it all. His people have turned their back on God. The people of Judah have turned their back on God. So what happens? Well, the, the book of Habakkuk happens. Habakkuk calls out to God asking for the people to have a changed heart. And he prays. I'm going to put this up here for you. It says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Habakkuk 1.1. This is how it starts. God, can you hear me? God, can you hear me? And God responds that the people need something. They, 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 they need revival. Maybe you need revival tonight. They need revival. But he knows something that, that we know of hard-headed people like you and I. We don't reach for revival until we're at the bottom of the pit. We don't reach for revival until, until God has removed his protection from us and we have seen that our lives stink when we make our own choices and choose to be our own God. And so that's what God tells him. And God says, well, I'll tell you what, it's going to take something special. I'm going to send these people called the Chaldeans in. We call them the Babylonians now, but they were called the Chaldeans. And we're, I'm going to send them in, and they're going to ransack the people of Judah. And by ransacking the people of Judah and destroying the temple and taking these people out, maybe, just maybe, they will be at the bottom of their pit and finally embrace the love of God. Well, Habakkuk didn't want that answer. He didn't like that one. Habakkuk doesn't like the answer. I mean, he's like, God, can't you just like snap your fingers and someone be completely changed? Isn't that what, isn't that what the world expects? <laughs> Christian, you became a Christian and they look at your life and they realize you're still struggling over your porn addiction. You're still struggling with alcoholism. You're still struggling with things and they want to condemn you. But that's just not how it works. 
That's not what God does. God could snap his fingers and change you completely. But God desires for you to make those decisions yourself. So in the moment of doubt, God tells Habakkuk, this is the central verse of all of Habakkuk. I'm going to tell you what it is. Let's put it up there for him. He says, the righteous, they live by faith. All right, Habakkuk? He says, the righteous, they will live by faith. Y'all are talking about our, our world. Well, you've got to be people of faith. And when we're people of faith, we know there's a greater truth than what the world gives us. We know there's a, a greater truth. It's the truth of God. We are people of of faith. And the book does deal a lot with people and their faith. And Habakkuk, as he wavers back and forth, he even tries to call God out like, really, God? And I'm not going to tell you what happens in Habakkuk because it's only three chapters. Goodness, you can read that. But I do want to introduce a term that we're going to go into that often leads people away from the loving embrace of God. And this is a word called idolatry. What's idolatry? Let me tell you about it. It's valuing anything, anything above that superiority that God should have in my life. God should be up here. Everything else should be way down here. And my life should show that. And when things get topsy-turvy and I start to, a relationship, a woman, whatever you got going on, a man, whatever you got going down, whenever that, it, it, it messes everything up when it flips. For example, like, some people are skipping out tonight. They really are. And I'm going to tell you what, they're going to miss something special. I don't know what they're worshiping. Maybe they're worshiping the almighty motor. You know what I mean? <laughs> Working on a car. Maybe they're talking to the car gods. I don't know what they're doing. But they should be talking to the one true God of the universe tonight. You know, God changes people, not oil. And this is where we need to be tonight. Idolatry is dangerous. You know why? Because whatever you worship is where you place your identity. Whatever you're going to worship, whatever you're going to stick at the top of the pinnacle, whatever you're reaching for, that's where you're going to place your identity of who you are and who you want to be. Idolatry is placing anything before God. So as you have had plenty of time now to turn to Habakkuk, we're going to be in chapter 2. I'm only giving you a few verses, 18 through 20. And let me give you a main idea of what this is all talking about. I, I don't know how to be gentle with these words. I'm just going to tell them to you. Here's the main idea of our text today. You pop it up there for me. An ignorant person follows their idols. An ignorant person follows their. And I put their in a different, because we make our own idols. An ignorant person will go on following their idols. Brandon, what's ignorant mean? Well, let me tell you. It's lacking understanding. It's not having awareness. There's a lot of ignorant people in the world that just aren't aware of what's going on around them. It's being uneducated, and sometimes it's choosing to be uneducated. You know what I mean? So let's look at our text today. Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. This is what the Word of God says. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. Listen, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a, a wooden thing, uh, awake to a silent stone. Arise, can this teach? 
Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in it. But listen, the Lord, he's in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Y'all know how we do. Will you pray for your pastor before I jump into the word? God, I thank you for the, the saints that have chosen to be here tonight, the saints that have chosen to be in this place to worship at your altar, to worship your name, the saints that have, have placed you at, at the top, I hope, of their hearts, that have placed you at the top of the priority list, God. And Lord, for people that aren't here, for people that have no good reason, would you move in their lives in such a way that they hurt, that they burn, that they yearn for the word of God, that they would desire to be in a community of, of people working to get better. And we're, none of us have made it. But every day is better. And Lord, you say when we fall backwards, pity the man that doesn't have a friend to pick him back up. We need the church. We need misfits. And you lead this all. Lead it tonight, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. And we praise you. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, you know, y'all don't all know me too well, but you know a lot about me. But one thing you may not know is that, man, I love football. I love football. Football in Texas, where I'm from, is a god. I don't know if you know that. It is, it is a god. I got a picture for you. That is the Sherman Bearcats. That is the, the team from where I came from. This is... These 15 and 16 and 17-year-olds look like adult men, don't they? And football is worshipped where I'm from. And I was just raised to love, this, to love that game. You know, I was thinking about that because don't so many kids, aren't they even almost trained? To, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a professional football player, professional baseball player. And we got parents that don't look at them and go, but, but baby, you're going to be 5'2". You know, we got parents that don't speak the truth to their kids. And to make it in the NFL, to make it into the pros, these athletes have to give everything to the NFL. Sunday mornings belong to the NFL. Yes, some NFL gatherings have a church service, but you're telling me that you're going to go give God 30 minutes while you're thinking about uh, play-action fakes and what you're going to be doing here in a couple hours? I don't think you're going to be able to do it well. Not when every down has money attached to it. They can't attend church when they're on the road. They can't be in a small group. They can't have community. You know, I see the NFL, it becomes this idol, this God in so many people's lives. And they find their identity in a team, a name. And they're worried about what position am I going to be? Am I going to make the roster? Am I going to have uh, an income? I'm going to move my family for all of this. And I began to think about this, and I began to look at some studies that are out on the retirement of people in the NFL, because you know these, I, almost, I say kids, but you know these guys, they, they, they're retired in their 20s. And what is the world, what, what do they have to offer them after they've given everything to the almighty NFL, to almighty football? What do they have? And there's a couple studies out, I want to tell you the, the, the gist. One study done by the University of Florida found that half of retired players continue to use opioids, painkillers, because they're always in pain for how they live the first 20-something years of their life. 60% of them suffer depression. 
Another study found that retirees from the NFL spoke of marital issues, anxiety, uh, fear of aging, fitness, uh, finances, more, more, more. What's going on with all of that? Well, players, they, they've put their identity in a sport that has no life behind it, and the sport leaves them, and they're left in pain, and they're left lost. And then the depression sets in. Church, to place your identity in anything besides God, it's always going to leave you lost. It's always going to leave you wanting. Even worse, most idols, it's the stuff that we create around ourselves. There's no life in it. We make these idols. Let's talk about that. You guys know how I do. I like to go verse by verse. Let's look at verse 18 and let's expound on what it says. Verse 18, I'm going to put it up there for you because I love you. And I don't want your head hunched down over the top of an uh, iPad or whatever you got there. So here we go. It says, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation. That sounds dumb. When he makes speechless idols. Okay, so what's idolatry? We're trying to remember idolatry, valuing anything above the superiority of God that God should have in our life. So here's your, your, your first point tonight. Where do idols usually come from? We make our own idols. We make them. We ain't got nobody to blame but ourselves, y'all. We make our own idols. We create the idols that we worship and we place within our life. We make our own idols. And you probably are doing it most days. You say, Brandon, not me. <laughs> yeah, even you. You say, well, well how, how do I know that I've made something an idol in my life? Well, these are the areas that you have placed at the top. These are the areas, again, where you find your identity and you find yourself just talking about them. These are the areas that have consumed you and probably that you're blind to. I just want to give you a few examples because I look at our culture and I see many examples, but I just wanted to give you a few if you don't mind. And guess what? Uh, I'm a pretty big guy, so when I step on your toes, it hurts, okay? Let's talk about this. I'm going to give you three C's tonight. These three C's, because I'm a pastor, start with the letter C. But the first one is this. It's, it's, it's consumerism. Consumerism. I just want it all. Consumerism, listen, is treating people, goods, and services as if they exist for your pleasure. Consumerism has invaded our churches. We have consumeristic churches where people go in expecting to see certain things. Well, what does that kind of person look like in a church? That's the kind of person that says, I don't, have, uh, I don't really want to go to that Bible study because I probably won't get much out of it. Maybe they don't say it like that, but they mean it like that. This is the kind of person that always has a reason why they left their last church. And that reason ultimately ties into one thing, and it's something experiential. It's that they weren't enjoying themselves. We didn't really like the band, so they left the church. We, uh, we prefer food in the foyer, so they left the church. You know that pastor didn't remember my name after that first visit, so they left the church. We didn't like sitting in the pews. We didn't like sitting in the chairs. You know, I'm at a church right now where I heard a story about my church before I ever got there. And they had pews 
and, and then they had sort of a, a vote, and they bought chairs, and then the church said, no, no, we really needed pews, and so they went back and got pews, and then they now have chairs. Man, when the church becomes about you, when the church becomes about you, I tend to ask people that have left their church, like, what theological issue did you have with the church that you left? And usually they look at me with just these blank stares. Listen, I know God moves people around in new church families. I get that. But he only does so for a few reasons. You're moving because God wants to use you and your gifts in a new capacity, in a new place, to impact a new people, to edify the, uh, the, the people of God, the Bible says, to edify the saints. So if you are new here, how are you doing? What are you plugged into? What are you working with? How are you getting involved? Don't come and slouch back into the back row like you did your last church and expect your heart to be changed. We get involved. Here's another reason why God might move you. God might move you for your own growth. I've seen that happen, sure. But again, I expect that person to get plugged in or they ain't going to grow. And God could also move you because of a theological issue, which I think should be one of the main reasons why anybody would stop listening to a pastor. And there are other reasons, I get it, but those reasons are rarely because you didn't like the music. That's not a good thing. And we're going to detect an activation. I got to get this Holy Spirit back now. Uh, the consumer-minded Christian always has a reason why they missed attending church, and you're going to talk to them, and they're going to tell you why they weren't here tonight. Someone in my context recently told me, and you know, we meet on Sunday mornings, and, and she was just honest. She said, honestly, we just really like to sleep in. Man, I'll tell you what, I appreciate you being honest more than you just lying to my face or something, right? I appreciate your honesty, but, but just a, a, a thought. Here's an idea. Sleep in on Saturday and place more value on the God of the universe who died for your sins than your pillow on Sunday morning. Consumeristic Christians see the church as a product. That's the problem. Let me give you an illustration. One of my boys, he is money-minded. This is the kid. Uh, <laughs> this is the kid that I would give candy to, and he would go sell it to his brothers. Like, <laughs> and I got one that's really bad with money, and so I make those bad dad jokes like, "Y'all just make sure you like each other, because you're gonna be living with him one day." You know, but you know what I mean. Uh, and they do like each other, so it's not good. But he wants me to sit down and go shopping with him, but, you know, online shopping. He wants to sit on, on like, an Amazon and, and, and look at shoes and things. And he wants to look at different colors and different textures and different providers and all these things. And I realized one day, besides the fact that I was getting super frustrated because I'm not that guy, if I'm going in to buy a wrench, I know what size I want and where it's at. Let's get it. Uh, he's not that. I was getting frustrated, and I, I realized what he was doing. He was just really trying to find one reason not to buy those shoes. I just need one reason. So he's looking at stuff. He's trying to find things, looking at reviews. Ah, it's too expensive right now. Well, you know they don't offer free shipping. Free shipping has ruined us, hasn't it? Man, it's going to take a week to come in. Look, receive this. This is how consumeristic Christians attend churches today. They come looking for a reason to pass on what they see as the product that we call the church. That's a problem. Well, I'm going to tell you right now that if you try to look for problems, you ain't going to have to look very far. <laughs> you should be looking in the mirror, and you would see the main problem. 
Our first C is consumerism. Let me give you a second C because I can't spend the whole time on this. The second C that's going to step on some toes is children. Psalm 127.3 says the children are a gift from God. That's true. Children are great. But when your place, when you place more value in a gift than the giver of that gift, you've crossed an unhealthy line. I was talking to a mom one time. And she told me something along the lines of this. She said, I have to get this particular gift for my son for, uh, for Christmas, or he told me he will hate me. Some of y'all about to box his ears. You ain't even his parents. Mercy. Come on now. What's that kid doing? He, he, he is worshiping the gift more than the gift giver, his mom, who not only gives him this gift for Christmas, but gave him life. <laughs> and we see things like this happen all the time. When children are our idols, we lose a sense of balance in our life, don't we? When grandbabies become our idols, we lose a sense of balance in our life. I find that many parents skip multiple church services with their children, from their, from their church with their children, because their kids are competing in sports, competitions, dance. And listen, I know that you don't choose when those events happen. It's our world that now has Sunday morning kids activities. I had a, I have a one of my sons is a very good baseball player. He, he could play some upper level catcher stuff. He's a really great catcher. And someone was kind of scouting him and they said, hey, we want him to be on our team. I said, well, what's the trade-off? What do I have to do? And besides paying an exorbitant amount of money, <laughs> besides that, they said, well, he will just be with us every weekend of the year. That's the trade-off. And I said, no, we can't do that. Because we love Jesus. The guy didn't like that answer. But it's the truth, and he needed to know where my heart was. No, we love Jesus, man. We go to church. We can't do that. We can't do that. The thing is, we have to, we have to know that we're, we're, we're teaching our kids. Our kids, they, they watch us. And we're teaching them that competition is more important than Christ. The Bible says don't forsake to meet Christians. The Bible never says don't forsake to play baseball. Let me give you a little illustration. Uh, you know, your kids are watching you. I, I knew a man, and this man, he lived, he was an adult man, an older man, and, and he had adult kids, and he lived in this area, and his kids lived near him but never saw him. And the man was sad. I said, what's going on? He said, my, my kids never come to see me. And it just hurts my feelings. Well, I knew one of the kids, and so I talked to that kid, and I said, hey, your dad's hurting because you don't go see him. And this is what the adult man told me. He said, you know, after my parents divorced, we almost never saw dad. He was always too busy for us to come visit. And he said, I guess I'm too busy to go visit him now. The man learned from his daddy because they watch us. They watch us. Let's keep going. We got consumerism. We got children. And the last one is culture. And by culture, I mean culture that stands against the truths of God. Of course, we're a place that loves culture. The church, we love, we love many different cultures. That's different. But culture that directly stands against God is no bueno. With the powerful movement of social media, we see so much of this. I just get so tired. Culture has done more than invade the church. Listen, the idol of culture has begun to direct the church and tell the church what's right and what's wrong and which way we should go. 
You know, now people come to the Bible with an agenda, and they make the Bible fit their agenda. They read their agenda into the Bible. The $2 word for this is eisegesis. And people have done it all throughout time, but they're doing it so much now. I mean, you think about slave owners. You know, slave owners had scripture that they used to have slaves. We had the abolitionists of the early 1900s, and they used verses in the Bible to, to create that. We, we, we can make the Bible say whatever we want as long as we come with something that we want the Bible to say, and that's what people do. My point is this. We've allowed culture to tell us what the Bible says. This last week, I got an email from someone, and uh, they were asking on our church's stance on a specific issue. Okay? What's your church's stance on this? And it's clear in the scriptures, and it's clear on our website, and it's clear everywhere. And the woman said this. She said, we prefer to find a church that supports our beliefs. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I don't much care for vegetables, but I know they're good for me. <laughs> we want to find a church that supports our beliefs, she said. Or you can do what Christians do. Christians are Christ followers, and we approach the Word of God with the basis of our own understanding, and then we allow the Word of God to speak into our life to change what we think because that is real truth, and our understanding becomes radically different as we know the Word of God. You could do it that way. Consumerism, children, culture. These are idols that we have created. But back to old Habakkuk. The Babylonians, they had literal idols. They worshipped other gods and they made little statues and big statues and all these different things. In fact, the Babylonians were several different people groups that came in and destroyed and won and destroyed and won. They just called them the Babylonians for the area that they were in. And they had all these different gods. They were creating their own. I think we can relate to that. Let's look at verse 19 together. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. How do we learn from something that doesn't have life within it? Why do we place our meaning and our, and our faith in things that have nothing That's what this verse is saying. We create them and then we put meaning into them. And that's really sad. Here's your next point. It's sad that we ascribe life and meaning to what is just dead and lifeless. How sad that people search for life and meaning in dead idols. Reminds me of a story. You might have heard this story. If you have, don't, don't, don't spoil it for your friends here. I heard this some time ago. There were some kids and they were, they were out playing and their dog comes up running and the dog has a dead rabbit in its mouth. Some of y'all laughed at a dead rabbit. You are sick people. Sick people at Misfits. This dog has this dirty, nasty, dead rabbit in its mouth and, and they look and they love their dog and they realize, oh, we know that rabbit. That's the neighbor's rabbit. <laughs> and so they think, we can't let the dog get in trouble. And so they take the rabbit, and they do what any logical child would do. They give it a bath. They get all of the dirt off of it. But now it's wet. What do you do? So they hang it by its ears on a clothesline. You know, you got you to gotta get get something, right? And then the little boy, he, uh, he takes this, uh, 
rabbit and he, he goes to the kennel in the neighbor's yard and he puts the rabbit back in the kennel. Well, they sit there and they wait. Is, 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 is dad going to find out what happened? The neighbor comes uh, out one, uh, soon that day and, and uh, dad sees the neighbor. They're good friends. He just walks over. He says, hey, neighbor, it sure is a beautiful day. How are you doing? And the guy says, well, actually, I'm pretty sad right now. Oh, really? The father says, what's wrong? He said, it's my pet rabbit. He's dead. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that, the father replied. And the guy said, well, that's not the weird part of it. The rabbit died three days ago. We buried him in the backyard. We had a service, but he has resurrected and taken a shower. You know, we ascribe life to dead things. <laughs> we like to make things that are dead and try to give them life. That's what this verse is saying. We make an idol and, and we try to give it value and purpose and power over us. Over us. The image bearers of God. We try to give it value and purpose over us. And so God says in this verse, He says, can... This teach. You put that up there for me. God says, can this teach? You know, when you seek for life in what is dead or inanimate, uh, you then seek wisdom from that item deemed worthy of your love. And God just points out how really sad that is. It doesn't make much sense. It's the blind leading the blind, right? And you're going to waste your time on something dead that holds your image. The idols you make are a reflection of you. Some of you remember the, uh, the, the, the story of Narcissus. Let's toss that picture up there. The Narcissus. Uh, that's where the word narcissistic comes from. Let's see if you remember this from school. He, Narcissus is this guy from Greek mythology. And, and, and Narcissus, he... Uh, he wants to fall in love, but he, he's so handsome and so beautiful, he just can't find anybody to fit with him. Some of y'all are related to this person, right? He just can't find anybody to love him. And then one day he's walking and there's this lake and he sees his own reflection and he falls madly in love. And he looks down at himself and how beautiful that person is. But that person won't respond. And so he just sits there and he wastes away and he dies. Looking at the person of his own affections himself. The idols that you make are just a reflection of you. Proverbs 27, 19 says, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. It's almost like God knew what the, the story of Narcissus, or maybe God came before the story of Narcissus, right? And you might fall in love with your idols because they reflect the pieces, they reflect little pieces of you, but you can't seek truth and and meaning in your idols, you will only find your life wasting away. Proverbs 14.2, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is what? The way of death. A lot of people lived out this verse. And they thought they found the answer to life. They thought they found the right path. They found the, the, they found the city of gold. They found the, the, the fountain of youth. They found this. They found that. Whatever their heart was searching for. And it was just a way unto death. Christians, seek for life in the Lord. 
in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit and through the action and the guidance of the Son, the creative power of the Father, the, the whole earth was made just like that. God created life and He holds all truth. The devil wants to tempt you with ungodly cultural movements. You just can't fall for them. You just can't fall for them. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to the full. He's not trying to even give you a partial life. A little resuscitation. He's trying to change your heart. He wants to give you life to the full. And that life that he offers you is not just temporary. It's eternal. John eleven twenty five through 26 Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he says, do you believe this? But you know what? It only comes through Jesus. John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, not an idol, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of, of life. And we see it all in the scriptures. I want to give you one more verse. I relate to this verse. Maybe you will too. This is Psalm 119, 130. Let's, show, let's put it up there. What does it say? The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to who? The simple. <laughs> That's me. That's some of you. To the simple. It's sad that we create idols that we worship in place of God when God offers us so much. We try to ascribe life to what has none and we ask for meaning from places that can never give any meaning. Look at verse 20. Here's what verse 20 says. But the Lord, and that makes you want to pause and just stop. There's a big butt right there. You know, the Bible's filled with big butts. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. I've told you what the story of Habakkuk is about, and it's about Habakkuk kind of struggling with his own faith and seeing God move in his people. And we see some of awareness right here that pops up as Habakkuk pins this down, these words that he's getting from God, but he's pinning this down. There has to be some awareness Habakkuk is seeing his people turn from God. Habakkuk has already questioned God's methods. Habakkuk is not happy with what God is going to do. And then God reminds him the righteous will live by faith. And then Habakkuk starts to see a little bit more clearly. He gets it. Our idols are leading us nowhere good. But God's ways are good. And they're right. And God is no idol. He's the living God. He's the Lord, the maker of the heavens and earth. We don't tell God what to do. Habakkuk has to stay silent, he writes. He is no one to judge the God of the universe. There's two points that I want to give you here. I'm going to put them in backwards order. In our verse, it said, let all the earth keep silence before him. I want to start there. Silence. If you were given, think about this. If you were given access to the throne of God where you could come before God, what would you do with your time? And you sit there and you think about that. What would you do with that access? With that time? If you were given a pass to stand before His majesty, what words would come out of your mouth? 
Isaiah had a vision, and now Isaiah's vision, he, he it was just a vision, but he saw himself before the throne of God, and he sees God talk to him. And Isaiah, he says this, he's overwhelmed. He says, this is Isaiah 6, 5, it's not going to be up there, just listen to me. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes, but my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah is expressing that he's a sinner and he does not deserve to be in the presence of God. Some of you guys, you, uh, you had lava lamps growing up. Who had a lava lamp? Some of y'all still got one, I bet. You probably, it's probably on your windowsill right now, just bubbling and going crazy. You're supposed to unplug that when you leave the house. I hope you know that. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. You know how they work. They work because they have two components in them. Some of the ones are like water and oil now. But uh, they had like this wax in, 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 in the water. And the wax, because it's, it's a heavier, it would sit on a light bulb, if you remember, and then it would begin to expand. And then the density changes. It becomes less dense than the water. And it rises until it cools off. And then it will go back down. That's how it works. The two never will combine. Isaiah looks on his sinful self and then on God's righteous holiness. And he feels like, like, like oil like wax before the holy water of God. And he feels like he can't and he should not approach because those, those things cannot be near one another. They cannot become one another. And so you think, what would you do before God? I think I might just like the verse, bow in silence and reverence before him. But also I do want to show you something. The author is saying something here that we need to see, that we need to realize because the, the, writers, the writer of, uh, of Habakkuk, Habakkuk and God speaking through him, it, it's really beautiful whenever you understand language and things. And he does something here that I want you to see. In comparing, I want to say this right, in comparing the way that people attempt to make their own idols and then they try to make them speak. And yet those idols can't speak. But we serve a God who can speak and we should be silent before his holiness. Here's your next point. Idols can't speak to us and God's awesomeness should leave us speechless before him. Idols can't speak, but God's awesomeness should leave us speechless. And I think there's a lot of people that serve something that they call a God. Maybe they even serve someone that they call Christ, but he just doesn't look like this at all. Their God is so small, they can put it in their back pocket or in the front pocket and they can pull them out whenever they want and they wiggle them around. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But then they put it back in when they go to the bar and they put it back in whenever they, they, they're hitting the drugs and they, they put it back in whenever they're around certain friend groups. You know what I'm talking about. And that's not the God of awesomeness. That's not the God who encompasses my entirety. Idols can't speak to us and God's awesomeness should leave us speechless before him. I mean, we, we, we think about this. Think about God. God is completely, think about this. He is completely self-aware. He is all-powerful. He is sinless. <laughs> he needs nothing to sustain himself. I can't add a single thing to make God better. But he can add everything to make me better. God's truth is unchanging and no one can impact that. God's actions are sure and no one can stop them. God's concept of right and wrong supersedes culture. His morality is completely good. His justice is perfect. His righteousness is completely holy. And we are left speechless before Him. 
And even though this is all true, I want to show you that second point in this verse. It says the Lord, he's in his holy temple. The Lord is in his holy temple, it says there in that verse. What do you get from that? We're given this address of God. People are searching for meaning, and we're given the address of God. You can keep seeking for meaning in your idols that will never give you joy. Those idols that you're creating that that are of you and look just like you. And I hope that people realize that they lead to death and destruction and they're unable to make you happy. You can do that. Or you can find God where He is. Here's your last point. The only true God, man, He's available to you. He's available to you. The only true God of the universe who changes lives is available to us. And many of you have experienced that. We have people in this church that are, have been addicts. We have people that have been uh, abusers and been abused. We have people coming out of prison. We have people that have gone through all those things. Misfits, do not forget that fact about yourself. Your culture is so different than many others. Many of you are hardly welcomed in another church. But here, with the children of God all together, and I recognize that even as sort of an outsider, but you let me, I'm adopted in, right? Uh, I, I recognize all of that and I see all that. <laughs> and it's like, it's like the lady who told me uh, when, I, when, I, when I got to my church, she looked at me and she went after church service and she said, Brandon, I just want you to know one thing. Your tattoos are very visible. <laughs> I said, I said, I said. Uh, yeah, that's on purpose. You know, I spent a lot of money on these. She said, no, no, I, I know you got those before you were a Christian. I said, no, I got them after I was a Christian. Right? And then she tossed out a Bible verse, and I told her what that Bible verse actually meant, and she wasn't going to have that. You know, and so I, we, we know what that feels like to, to walk in a place and people, their eyes are on you. Not misfits, man. Misfits is a place for the misfits, the lost, those in need, those that are hungry for the Lord. And the only true God of the universe is here for you. In accordance with these verses, we know where God is for anyone that will humble their heart, recognize the sin in their life, for anyone that will approach God, not on their own terms, but on His terms. In reverence of Him, God is available to them. God is available to them. But as we sort of land this this airplane tonight, maybe you struggle to even believe in that God. Maybe maybe you're worshiping your idol, which, you know what, it may not be alive, but it is safer. It's like the woman who stays with the guy that beats her. At least I know when the beatings are coming. And people choose to, to, to live this way Or maybe you place fault in God. I mean, could there really be a God with so much pain in the world, as people say? I want to finish here with a little story. Uh, There was a pastor, and he he went to this barber shop, and and he knew the barber because the barber had been working on him. Now, y'all don't make make fun of me because I don't need a barber shop now. But, you know, this pastor did. He had a full head of luscious hair. Anyway, uh, he went to the barber shop. And he starts talking to this barber, and the barber's just comfortable around him. So the barber eventually says, man, I, I got a question. Why do you choose to be a pastor when there is no God? And the pastor says, well, what do you mean? He knows better than just to jump and answer. We should do a lot more listening than we do. 
And the barber continues, you look out my window. There's violence and there's pain. And if there was a God, there wouldn't be any of that. Mm. Mm. Pastor listens. Instead of speaks. And then their time is over and he gets up and he tips him well because Christians should be good tippers. He tips him well and he heads on his way. Well, not too far outside the barber shop, the pastor comes across this homeless man. And the man has this matted hair and he has this long, gnarly beard. And the pastor grabs the homeless man and walks him back into the barber. And he walks him in and he looks at the barber and he says, guess what? I just realized something. You see the state of this man's hair. It's in disarray. It's pretty bad. I don't believe in barbers. And the barber, who has caught on at this point, he just grins and he says, actually, there are barbers. You know that. The problem is that that man has never chosen to come to me. And the pastor looks at the barber and nods and says, exactly. There is a real God. And he loves you. He loves you so much that he died on the cross of Calvary for you. The Bible says that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the God. And the, the Bible says that the wages of sin are death. We deserve death for who we are. And you, I don't have to convince the misfits that we are screwed up people. And, and, and the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son because we all know within us a life for a life. The life for a life. We all know that. You, you see it in movies. Whenever you have a dying kid who's sick, there's always a mother that says, God, take me instead. We know within us a life for a life. And God said, you can't give life for someone else, so I'm going to give life for you. And Jesus Christ comes into the world. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross as a gift that we can receive. The Bible says if you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and you believe it, and you believe that He died for your sins, make Him the Lord of your life, and you believe that He rose from the dead, you can be saved. God conquered all of that. Why? So that we ain't got to follow no false idols. Maybe that's you tonight. Or maybe something y'all need to rededicate yourself in your life because you've been chasing the idols, consumerism, culture, children. You can name your own seeds. <laughs> Relationships. Finding who I am in another person instead of the God of the universe. Listen, don't get out of here tonight if you need to talk to somebody before you talk to somebody. And with that thought, as we think about God, who we should be silenced before, who loves us, I want to pray for us. Let's pray. God, we come before you knowing that you are holy and good. We thank you for everything you do for us because we don't deserve a lick of it. God, I thank you for the way that you pulled me from where I was, a kid from the mobile home park, fall in love with you, going to a VBS because my mama didn't want to watch me. <laughs> and there was Jesus. God, I just pray for the people in this room that we would embrace Jesus. I pray that we as the saints would live lives that embrace Jesus. That when people look at us, they would know there is something special, not about us, but about our God, the God that we serve, not a false idol, but the living God. And Jesus, you say, you say there is no way to the Father except through me. Help us to remember that and embrace that truth. Help us to embrace that today, God. We thank you for Habakkuk. We thank you that you give us the scriptures of a bunch of people that are screwed up as us so that we can see ourselves in them and we can know what revival looks like.
because this nation, this world needs revival. And we need it in our hearts too. And we lift this up before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. I don't know what comes next, but y'all do. That's it? All right, you guys have a good night. Talk to somebody if you need to.